this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Take one. Do you want anything from the shop? Cone it out. Chocolate! It doesn't say anything about a chocolate, does it? No. Hello and welcome to the 65th Spool Podcast. We're going to get a pension next month. Pension! Um, so I'm Nigel Wheatley and he's Pork McGill. Hello. As always. So coming up we're going to be reviewing Darren Ar- Aronofsky's crazy new film Mother. The wildly successful successful Stephen King adaptation It. The tale of a missing girl on an Indian reservation in Wind River. And the new Reese Witherspoon film. Could I make a joke? I was like, what's the name of the Stephen King film? It. Yeah, but what's its name? Uh, it. Sorry, go on. Anyway, um, but first we're going to take Mother. So uh, this is probably the most divisive film of the year, I think. From what I've read and picked up on other stuff, I saw it about two weeks ago. You saw it less than 24 hours ago, mm-hmm. so we're going to have wildly different things. Um, what we, I guess I'll intro it for, uh, first of all. So it's the story of a poet and his new wife as they set up their home in this ancient old house in some sort of like Eden type North American space, a big field. Uh, Javier Bardem is the poet. Jennifer Lawrence is his wife. Um, His name is him and her name is mother. Mother. So the relationship, there's something very sort of superficial and weird about the relationship. She seems to be most interested in kind of setting up this perfect home and building it and she's plastering and painting and she sort of moves around the home very... All in extreme close-ups. Yeah, close-ups and over the head and um, from either side, the back of her head or the front of her head most of the time. Um, Anyway, so they're there, there's this really weird, surreal, like, feel to everything and then there's a knock on the door one night, Ed Harris is there and uh, he thinks it's a and b so he says... Um, he's given uh, room and board for the night and she hates it he's okay with it then the next morning his wife arrives and then their two sons mm. and it all kind of turns into a really there. surreal episode of Frasier it's yeah it's not too far anyway so we might just take a clip of woman played by Michelle Pfeiffer speaking to her which is Jennifer Lawrence um, just about having children and you know parenting and all that why don't you want kids Excuse me? (laughs) I saw how you reacted earlier. I know what it's like when you're just starting out and you think you have all the time in the world. And, you know, you're not going to be so young forever. Have kids. Then you'll be creating something together. This is all just... setting. Yeah, um, it's quite a piece of work. Yeah, there's an awful lot Dis- in discuss. it. Like, there's there's so much to it. I thought, um, 
Uh, I don't think it's a terrible film. Like, by no means, it's it's not a one-star film in my head. I could see why oh. people really don't like it and kind of don't get bored in it. Like, for the first hour, you're like, yeah, it's kind of ticking along, very uneasy. For me, I got a feeling of a history of violence. I think that's just because Ed Harris yeah. turned up. Yeah, v- <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. David Cronenberg, I was thinking almost of funny games. Yeah. Um, Michael Haneke kind of world just knocks on the door and infringing on your private space like yeah with your you know with your wife with your family and yeah. when someone's where they shouldn't be and then bit by bit it gets weirder and weirder and tougher were you and tougher. aware that the gleasons were going to be in it i did not know i knew one of them and then the other one turned up and i was like oh yeah. that's cool and they get to play brothers which yeah. on screen is relatively novelty to me anyway oh, we've yeah. seen them play brothers on on stage a couple of years ago yeah uh, so it's good for brian to get uh yeah he's looking well he's done well and he was in um Logan Lucky. Look, yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost so, unrecognised. Well, he looked very different. Yeah. In it, so, so it's fair play. His kind of acting career is taken off. Um, yeah, like kind of as the film goes on, you're a bit like, oh, right. And then I think Aronofsky has said um, that the reason it's called M, um, small mother with a small M and then an exclamation mark. The exclamation mark is for the last half an hour. <clears throat> and to me, the kind of at the end, that's when it gets really like biblical. And, you know, is this like a pocket history of the world so far and then it kind of goes into like you know it gets very it's very cerebral like to me it didn't like engage me emotionally like I wasn't too worried like I got upset or like it was a bit like that's a bit gross Mm -hmm. like it is an 18s film and you're kind of like why is it 18s and you're like oh that's why yeah so it um I don't think there's any spoiler in saying Jennifer Lawrence becomes a mother in it has a baby and it's probably at that point where it goes full crazy he he's obsessed with fame he's obsessed with adoration and wanting at but at the expense of all that he has kind of yeah, created because, with yeah. her and there's parts where you wonder like is the whole thing just uh you know a manifestation of his because he's a poet and it's like it's all about creation and is it art and then is it a, a bigger piece on humanity and modern christianity and stuff yeah i i think so so i i kind of had this thing where i was like well he did a film about noah that's an old testament kind of thing and then this is after because I did try to do, do my very best to read nothing about it. And then I was thinking it kind of is. And then you've got Cain and Abel. And then I was like, well, Cain and Abel's parents, maybe Adam and Eve being the other pair. And then when I saw that he he is called him, you're like, well, he's God. And then I was like, but is she mother? And then you're like, maybe Mother Earth. But then Mother Earth isn't really a biblical thing. But yeah, she just like Mary kind of. Yeah, but Mary in a if transported back to old testament like yeah, this is where it seems yeah. to be gone so then somewhere apparently one of the working titles was on the sixth sorry the sixth day oh, okay. so it's kind of on the sixth day god rested and surveyed everything so mm. and it, the film is quite cyclical towards the end as well he kind of says like she's like who are you and just like i am i and you're like isn't there a thing in the bible it's like i am the light and the word or something like that mm. so so yeah. he he can be god is that yeah. what we're happy with yeah pretty sure yeah yeah and there's, so there's all sorts of all sorts of kind of theories he could read into it but it really like it it divided our um posse uh in that i loved it and and everyone who was leaving the cinema really really hated it what i think that may be down to is that like it's from paramount pictures so it's gotten the full uh like big splash like huge publicity campaign whereas it's actually closer like it could almost be like some of the stuff is like terence malick level Mm. of yeah, but like if you take like two minutes to have a look at his back catalogue. Yeah. You know. With the exception of The Wrestler, which is quite a. 
linear ABC kind yeah. of film. Everything else has a lot of strangeness in it. Weirdness and bonkersness in it, you know. It also is, brings up just general interest and stuff about, you know, maybe uh, a woman's fear of giving birth and abandonment. And then there's like there's an awful lot in it. And there's a whole, you kind of get towards the end if you're a bit clued in, you're like, you might start thinking about how the film started mm-hmm. and it gets a bit cyclical and you're like, oh, okay. So there is part of me that would like to watch it again, but I don't know if I will. Yeah, I think that's the the main kind of thing. <laughs> um, I think you were four out of five. For yeah, four. Yeah. I went with four as well. I really, really hoped that we would be disagreeing on this, yeah, but it yeah. actually seems like I'd actually nothing has kind of stuck with me as much afterwards, like as in oh, that and that in a really long time. I saw it four days after um, Twin Peaks wrapped up, which mm. was uh, obviously a series that hung with a lot of people and really kind of lightened in people's heads. And this is a much more like surreal, fantastical, more like a, a fable, but touched on a lot of similar bits for me. Yeah, so, but I don't it, know. it's still very like Hollywood and polished and clean. Yeah. Like it's a bit crazy, but it's still quite, yeah. you get the gist of what's going on and, mm. and nice it's not sounds a, and pictures. And yeah, and it's not a horror film. Apparently, yeah, there's just loads. Like apparently there was a whole different score made and then they just with this Icelandic composer and then they just turned it into a sound collage based sort of film and it is very like he does have a style you're watching it and the way it's cut and the way things move around mm. does feel very very Aronofsky-esque so anyway will it be in the films of the year lists like you'd argue it could show up in some places but yeah I don't know a lot of people I respect are giving it very good reviews so mm. I'm kind of like I feel like at least I'm on the way it's the right wavelength it's not the counselor again yeah, where you're like very much, but it has gotten, if you go on YouTube and you can read like, and or, sorry, listen to just some people who just tear the film apart and hate it. And that's probably because it's a big um, Paramount campaign. And then people also have this kind of Jennifer Lawrence hatred now that they've oh. kind of turned on her because I don't know if you know this, but she started going out with Darren Aronofsky during it. Aronofsky is almost an identical age to Javier Bardem. So which one of them is the artist? Who's the creator? Mm. And then one is kind of there was a worshiping bit of that, the other. And to me, at the start, where I didn't it was know kind that, of though. like in my head, it was like I know she's going out with someone famous, and then I only when I went to look it up today, I was like, oh, it's him. Fair enough. But mm. there is a bit of that at the start where I was just like, oh, come on, like do something. Like instead of going mm. around and making, she would always make the tea and bring the dinner out to him, and she's yeah. decorating the house. And I was just like, oh, come on. But she really does kind of carry the film. I think she's a great performance in it, and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it does kind of change. I was just like, yeah, I get this. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, divisive as hell. Um, a guy I work with says it's the worst Darren Aronofsky film. And I said, Noah, we're going to say Noah. Yeah, Noah. Yeah, But there's some amazing stuff in Noah. Stood, stood by that statement, though. Yeah. Anyway, um, do you want to talk about Wind River? Or do you want to talk about it? Yeah, let's go with it. We'll go with it. Let's go with it. All right. Uh, It came out about a week or so ago. um, Stephen King adaptation um, based on the novel of the same name. And this time we have Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise. Um, Tim Curry would have played it. Can I ask you as a backstory? I did not watch the original commentary. So my awareness of the it universe was pretty limited but you it kind of comes well you kind of had older sisters but and i think it was them who showed it to me like it was this kind my of sister th- showed it to you no no, no. it's like my older sisters um it's so, the kind of thing where i saw it when i was too young like yeah. most people did and yeah, was yeah. kind of terrified by it and pennywise the clown was just like oh god and i think people kind of have that image in their head and it's why this which surprised me was such an event movie like, yes. I knew so many people going to this who ordinarily might go to the cinema or 
if they do go, this was top of their list to see. And like it also was a horror film and that's pretty popular. But, and yeah, and it has, but it has followed through like with box office. Everyone is still mm. seeing it. Like I saw this weekend, the screening, there's about 10 screenings a day in Cineworld. Like yeah. you can get in every half an hour pretty much. Mm. Um, and it does, it is kind of playing off there, which was timed brilliantly because I presume it would have been in production before Stranger Things finished, but maybe not though. If the kid, it kind of is playing off the back of that buzz, this retro... 80s. Yeah, I think it's probably an accidental thing, but um, yeah. And one of the kids, um, Finn Wolfhard, who plays Richie Tyser, who's kind of like the foul-mouthed uh, glasses guy. He's in Stranger Things and he plays one of the kids. Um, so the a very kid, similar character. Yeah. So uh, we'll have a clip here and here you can hear Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise talking to Georgie. Hi, Georgie. What a nice boat. Do you want it back? Um, yes, please. Look like a nice boy. Do you want a balloon too, Georgie? I'm not supposed to take stuff from strangers. Oh, well, I'm Pennywise the dancing clown. Now we aren't strangers, are we? I should get going now. Without your boat? So, yes, yeah, the Skarsgård thing. So he's 27. Kind of like, isn't, doesn't the, um, I suppose the curse happen every 27 years. years? Is that a coincidence? It could be. It is completely coincidence (laughs) because obviously he only turned 27 last month, but they have been waiting for 27 years to cast Bill Skarsgård. Um, so it kind of centers around, uh, four or five kids who are like, uh, they even reference it at some point because they call, um, Sophie Lillis, who plays Beverly Marsh, you know, the Molly Ringwald of the group. So they're kind of this like teen group, very stand by me. Um, and they keep seeing this clown in their dreams. It's played by Pennywise and kids have been disappearing in the neighborhood. And then um, they then decide, all oh, right, this isn't that much of a coincidence because we're all seeing them and they need to band together to get rid of it. So to me, it's it's not scary. It's it's too clean cut it's a very modern day horror and it's really like you can kind of see where the jumps are coming the best bit for me is the projection when they're in the garage looking at the projection going oh bit by yes bit. Yeah. i was like that is pretty cool and it's good and it's scary the other stuff you can kind of see well, you're not from. you don't mind clowns right so there's a lot of people who well i i, I don't love them wouldn't be mad i remembered i think you went to see it with colin after maybe i recommended it there was uh an installation in the RHA, Bruce Nauman, the clowns. Oh, yes. Yeah. We go into a room and it, the door closed behind you and it was dark. And it was just all these clowns. That was terrifying. I kept thinking of that during the, the screening. Um, so it's too polished and everything. Like if you I, and I want to go back and watch the original night to see now. Well, actually, this is really naff and terrible. Or is it does it hold that kind of original gritty kind of B movie element to, it, you know? Yeah. And but it does. Like, I think there's no way you could read a review of this that doesn't mention Stranger Things, 
the Goonies stand by me. Like you kind of know what you're getting. Mm. Did it need to be set in 1989 or whatever as part of the? Well, I think that just goes ties into the novel, and then when it'll be 27 years later, it'll kind of bring it a bit more up to date. Because they're going to do a sequel. Apparently, there is. Yeah, a... so the book kind of is. It starts with them being older, and the clown comes back, and then it's them flashing back to when they were kids. Now the book is insanely messed up, and you should read the New Yorker review of it. It's kind of very good, and it touches into the of the film. Yeah, it turns into the the fantastical element of the book which isn't really there at all there's some small nods to it there's a really messed up scene in the book i'm not even going to talk about um i know give it to us when you're just reading the book you're like give us a hint should i be reading this it's to do with the girl and the, the all the guys oh. and you're just like right um so stephen king had a really funny tweet. the girl is 15 in real life in real life mm. oh, okay so all the kids are pretty young so the um stephen king had uh, had a great tweet where he's just like oh so all the people who were wondering you know about chapter two of it could you could go and read the book <laughs> oh, yeah. so what did you make of it nice big stephen king season coming up in yeah, the lighthouse, the lighthouse. lovely poster um so i got to see it yesterday kind of enjoyed it for what it was but a little bit forgettable and i felt like i'd seen it before so i'm trying to work out if i did indeed see the miniseries or whether it just felt like nothing was going to surprise me and it just it's and i feel really bad like because with the Stranger Things thing, I do feel like the two, it's really unfortunate for both that one lives in the other world and they're so yeah. similar. Like even so much of that imagery with like the the bikes going around like like a small town. And America. posters like, and walls and stuff. Posters, like, yeah. yeah. And like you're you're then looking and they, I don't think they try as hard as, as uh, Stranger Things with the reference, like the films, there is like a lethal weapon film, like there's a Gremlins film. Yeah. So that's authentic enough. But like Stranger all that Things stuff is better goes in than there. this, like. But yes. it has a freshness to it, even though. Although it's the end of Strange Things is a bit not nonsensey, yeah. but we're, we're less said about that, the better. Mm. So yeah, I think I land on like a three out of five. Or I'd be giving it about two and a half, three kind of thing. Mm. But it was. I'd be curious to see what they do with chapter two. Like it'd be funny if you see because they'll have Set made in the modern day with the same well, characters more being recent, older. Yeah, but so they'll have made a load of money now. So will they go for big names or will they go for unknowns? Maybe actual molly ringwald will play that like, would be amazing she yeah. start that campaign going or now? barb barb from stranger things that would just get too but she has red hair like i don't know i'm sure mm. someone i'm not the first person to kind of think of that so um anyway the other one that um kind of caught my eye th- th- these are the three that i kind of had to catch up on in the last week um was uh wind river and this is taylor sheridan's third part of a frontiers trilogy possibly the other two that i saw with you did i see sicario and hell or high water with you definitely saw hell or high water to know but sicario. Sicario, could have been sicario. maybe not yeah anyway so they're two brilliant films he wrote them both and then um and denis villeneuve and david mckenzie directed but here he's directing um the film isn't as good as either of them i'll just say that off off the bat um because both of them are brilliant i know you had some issues with sicario mm. but uh, hell or high water loved yeah um anyway so jeremy renner plays a kind of a tracker hunter type uh, figure on an indian reservation the wind river indian reservation in wyoming so it's really snowy he kind of wears like big white jumpsuits and um shoots like what he calls lions like mountain lions so they're kind of like yeah leopardy look like big, big wild cats yeah yeah so um he's a very cool kind of character i think it just i'll just point that out when he's in his it's kind of like the born identity i or the born the one that he's in, The Bourne Legacy, The Bourne Supremacy, The Bourne something or other. I like The Bourne film that Jerry, yeah. Jeremy Renner is in. Not many other people do. Um, it's not necessarily an action film, but there is... He always plays a really like, 
sound guy in most films he's in. Yeah. He's like, I'm trying to think of him being an asshole in something, and I can't. Mm, we're lighter on that. Like, he's good fun in the Avenger films. He's always like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so he... There's a murder of a young woman, a uh, late teen, maybe she's 18, 19. Um, Native American. Native American on the reservation. Her body shows up in the snow. She's barefoot. She's clearly ran somewhere, but, like, they're in the middle of nowhere. Like, you have to get a snowmobile everywhere. And he then assists the FBI and the tribal police in solving... Or trying to solve the crime... What makes this a little bit um, more kind of like, oh, how convenient is that he lost the daughter uh, to a similar mysterious kind of circumstance. So you're like, okay, is there a culture? Is there a serial Serial kind of redemption? Yeah. So it's his, by him being involved, he's doing it for the right reasons of trying to help his, uh, is it his, you know, the guy who he helps, the, the, the girl's father. Yeah. They're just buddies, aren't they? Yeah, they're just mates. I think they're like friends. So weird... and he know, like Jeremy yeah. Renner's coming from a point of view, like this happened to me so I can... Yeah. Identify. There's a few interesting bits like that he, I suppose he could easily have been... That was Gil Birmingham. A native... Okay. Yeah. A na- He's oh, great did... in it. Yeah, he was, yeah. Um, the, he was also in Hell and High Water. He was Jeff Bridges' partner. Oh, I knew I knew him. Thank you very yeah. much. So, yeah, I suppose you could, you could have questions about why is white guy Hollywood star Jeremy Renner playing the part that he's casting, but you kind of need to cast these people to get the money to make the films. Like yeah, if they had cast, sadly there. enough, that's the reality. Mm. So I think it deals with life on reservations quite well and raises awareness that there's huge um, crime and missing person cases that go on. And um, the film closes with a little stat that women who go missing on uh, Indian reservations are one of the few demographics of people. Yeah, who there's just like don't get no logged. records accounts so, for and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, there's one. You know, it's it's documented statistically that there's a higher drug use and alcohol abuse mm-hmm. on um, reservations. Yeah. I suppose it would. Maybe they could have avoided telling that story, but it did create an authenticity for me. So yeah, it would kind of bring to up to was it Winter's Bone? Yeah, with um, Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Jude Lawrence. Yeah. It kind of had that kind of feel to it. Very gritty. Very real. It's a, were you cold when you were watching it? Like, or had an interesting cinema experience. Went with uh, ex-producer Colin to this, and there was a man and a woman beside me. It was pretty packed screen, and it was a press like preview. You know the scene when they're having a real tough heart to heart. The guy Jeremy Renner with the guy. Yeah, she was on her Toward phone oh. scrolling through Facebook, and I had to be. I had to turn around and be like, "Can you actually put your phone away?" I was like, are you serious? This is like one of the most important scenes in the film. Toward the end. She'd gotten yeah. two hours through. And like, I was just like, oh, come on. Like, yeah. seriously. It was very annoying. Um, did she? Oh, yeah, she did. I gave her the look. Um, mm. You know, I I did really enjoy the film, if you can kind of say that for want of a better word. Um, John Bernthal turns up at a brilliant moment. And initially when I see him, I'm like, oh, no, are you? And then he was like, oh, he's a good guy. And I was like, oh, thank God for that. Um, yeah. John Bernthal, do you want to... That is. Yeah, he's in know. Wolf of Wall Street. He's kind of like the, the Walking the Dead drug dealer. Walking Dead, yeah. yeah, great kind of character actor at the moment. Um, it's a bit kind of cliched and hokey. Like it, it'd make you think of um, Jodie Foster for Silence of the Lambs, like this rookie FBI agent thrown into this world of men. But mm. I, yeah, I, Elizabeth Olsen. You, I think she has plenty to do in it. Um, mm. They didn't go down the romance route. She just kind she really of, wants to solve. Was there at the yeah. end? Yeah, because like when the body is shown up at first, he's like, well, actually. Okay, there's bruising and clearly she was potentially raped and assaulted, but that didn't kill her. The cold killed her. So I have to log this. Mm. It's a very interesting kind of perspective, but I yeah. have to log this 
not as a homicide, but as a like natural death or whatever. Yeah. And she's like, but that means I'll have to go home. I can't work on this. Yeah, we won't get a team here. Yeah. Yeah. So, so well, um, and I did kind of, there's a brilliant the line. shootout as well is yeah. a phenomenal scene. Like the, um, those last 20 minutes to half an hour where everything kind of kicks off. You're just like, Jesus. Well, yeah. And it's really tense. Because it's a long movie. It's like 2.15 yeah. or 2.20. Yeah. Um, but there's a brilliant line in it where Jeremy Renner is, um, it should be like a motivational poster where he's on about, you know, she's like, oh, I'm weak or something, you know, and she's like, no, nature doesn't, uh, the deer who's eaten by the, the alligator, the, the lake or something, he wasn't unlucky, like he was weak, to pick out the weak members of the thing, because it kind of ties into the, the woman who was uh, killed and everything, like how strong really she was because of what she did and how she survived and stuff compared to how some other people come to their end. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, brilliant. We might just take uh, 30 to 40 seconds of a clip of just uh, Re- Jeremy Renner's character, Corey Lambert. He's kind of explaining to Elizabeth Olsen's FBI agent, Agent Banner, uh, what he interprets to be the cause of death, which is nicely tied back in toward the end of this one. Then. Over here, see this one? See how the toes turned out? The front is much deeper than the back. That says she's running. Come here, I'll show you. She ran until she dropped here. See the pool of blood where her face hit the snow. Now it gets 20 below here at night. So if you fill your lungs up with that cold air when you're running, you can freeze them up. Your lungs fill up with blood. You start coughing it up. So wherever she came from, she ran all the way here. Her lungs burst here. She curled up in that tree line and drowned her own blood. So that was it. That's in cinemas now. That's Wind River. Um, I'm on the I'm on the four out of five. Yeah, I give a four. Ah, for j- are Sorry, we aligning yeah. on everything. Probably, yeah. We won't align on the next one. No, we might. I don't know. So uh, yeah, Detroit. Uh, loose correlation between it and it is uh, Pennywise was originally at one point going to be played by Will Poulter, but I think there were scheduling conflicts, and Will Poulter plays a terrifying racist cop who looks about fourteen in Detroit. So it's set in 1967 in the Detroit riots, which I knew nothing about. Yeah. Like, I know, you know, about the Rodney King riots and the LA riots and certain things, but I'd never heard about this. Yeah, it was like a bridge between the civil rights movement and then, but like a good few years before the stuff that mm. that kind of took off as riots. Right? So it's basically kind of said about the riots. So it, it's directed by Catherine Bigelow and it's kind of set like a war film. Like she became prominent, I suppose, with um, The Hurt Locker, which starred Jeremy Renner. Everything's lining up and... It kind of is shot like that. It's very, it's insanely tense. You know, it's a really horrible, you really feel horrible watching it. It's just some cops played by Will Poulter, Ben O'Toole and... Jack Rayner. Jack Rayner, who I didn't know was going to be in it. And then I was like, fat Jack Rayner as well. Like, heavier. He's very good. Yeah, he is very to good. To be fair to him. To be fair to him. And uh, there are three kind of like asshole cops who are going around terrorizing black people and with looting going on and different things. So then a gunshot goes off in a hotel. But it's more like kind of like a... What would you call it? Like a starting house? pistol. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, like a. It's not like a hotel hotel. Yeah, it's like almost a, like a weird off-campus kind of frat house. Yeah, yeah. So a gun goes Halfway off there, and they turn up, and what really pisses them off is that there are two white women in with all these black guys, and yeah. then it all kind of. I deliberately align like fired gun, but it's a starter pistol. It's a starter so it's pistol. Just, we're gonna like the the thing being, we're gonna mess with these cops. You know, we'll give them something to kind of get you know. 
yeah. keep them busy or whatever. But and uh, it all kind of escalates there. The interrogation gets really ropey and horrible, and you just kind of feel sick in your stomach watching it, being like, oh. "So it's a hard kind of film to recommend to people because it's just like it's a very good film, very worthwhile, but it's tough." with this because obviously you want as many people to see with it but like if someone's like here what's gonna be a good time at the cinema it's like well don't go see detroit like date night yeah john boyega plays a what's he like a security, security guard man and he's black working in the like mid-60s america but he's got like people like this people call him white what what's the nickname they get, you know, he's he he himself alludes to the challenges he faces as a black man working mm. in a predominantly white. Oh yeah, industry. that kind of racial work. Yeah, against black people like an Uncle Tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, um, I thought that was 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 uh, was really really well done. Him mm. in particular. Yeah. So it really it just unsettled me. I was like, you you just have this feeling in your gut for mm. about an hour. Of we like, have a wee clip here actually, which kind of sums up the detention. Stars your man John Boyega. Alice. Mm-hmm. No. Sometimes when a black guy is put in a position of authority, other black guys, they like to single you out. Okay, because I'm not supposed to tell them what to do. When we have these conversations, we do them in stages, okay? Stage one, witnesses. Stage two, suspects. What stage are we in? You don't know what stage we're in? No, could you specify for me? Yeah, we're in stage two. You're a suspect. Yeah, so you kind of get a feeling from the tension that uh, some good cameos to um, our, our producer friend here, John Krasinski, uh, who's in the office. He plays kind of like a jerk lawyer who defends all the cops when uh because uh, no we won't spoil that but he kind of needs to defend the cops at some point and um yeah there's yeah. bloodshed but then they have to have to pin crimes mm. on certain people so will poulter is very good because at the start you're like i'm not believing he does look like a big kid in a cop's uniform yeah but that's yeah kind then of he'd intentional be- because it's terrifying you're just like yeah. oh god yeah so it's well worth seeing even though it's out weeks now but uh, i'd still still be playing yeah yeah um so I guess for me, nothing else you want to wrap up? Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe just a few words on the David Lowery film, A Ghost Story. It's a very, yeah. almost... So anticlimactic. I was so excited when I saw the trailer for yeah. this. I was just like, oh, brilliant. Director of Ain't Them Body Saints. And Pete's Dragon, which and you Pete's quite like. Yeah. Still have yet to see that. Um, yeah, it stars Rooney Meyer and Casey Affleck. And it's that Casey Affleck passes away and then is a ghost. And in that old, very classic motif of a ghost he's a white sheet with two eye holes and he kind of continues to go around the house that him and Rooney Meyer were staying in then it goes in this great kind of everything about time and everything but it's just kind of made me want to pull my eyeballs out it's so ponderous and obvious you're like yeah I get what you're doing like can you speed it up a bit brilliant idea cake eating scene that will actually make you want to punch Punch. yourself in the face (laughs) yeah I was there I went to this on holidays I wasted like no, I wouldn't say I wasted. I I took some. It's it's. No, I'm trying to be. Popular. Who turns up in the middle? You told me I didn't realize Bonnevere. No, not Bonnevere. Yeah, Bonnie Prince Billy. Bonnie Pr- has I, a little scene at a the most annoying man at a party ever. You're just like really wow. <laughs> yeah, so very disappointing. But anyway, one to avoid. Yeah. So uh, my movie moment of the month is from Logan Lucky, which uh, my man Steven Soderbergh back in action, considering he never actually went away but um 
Well, no, he did a lot of TV, but he was supposedly retired. Yeah, it's kind of a nonsense. Bit of an annoying thing. Yeah. You're just like, whichever piss off if you're doing it. Yeah, I think he just kind of got the whole retirement thing misconstrued a little bit. But anyway, this is a heist movie set, uh, and it. Where is it set? Oh, somewhere the in Hick- yeah, somewhere in the South America. Hicksville. Oh no, Between sorry, uh, states, West Virginia. Virginia, West Virginia Mountain Mama. Yeah, once again a John Denver song in a film. Yeah, Has the copyright was... just expired in all John uh, Denver songs? Well, this is yeah. I was listening to podcasts about this very thing because they were like, "This has happened three or four times this year." So I think someone <laughs> something's going on there. Like the John yeah. Denver estate clearly just like um, promoted the yeah. music to lots and lots of agencies, and they all said, "Oh, cool." And Ben Wheatley. Or that one holdout guy was like, no, yeah. we're purists. He's not in any films. Finally died. and you know. Yeah. So anyway, Logan Lucky, uh, my favorite bit of it, Adam Driver and Channing Tatum play brothers. Adam Driver only has one arm. He's a vet. And his arm gets sucked into a giant hoover, which they're using as part of their he's, he's pulling a, money out of a safe. Yeah, Brilliant. He's, he's not an animal doctor. He's like a, a veteran of war. Yeah, that's it. Oh, yeah, vet. <laughs> um, so that's it. So did you like Logan Lucky? Uh, it was good fun. It's insanely forgettable. And I was just mm. like, oh, God. I love the bit when um, it comes over the podcast. I can't, I'm going to not remember it now. But you're like, this is basically like Ocean's Eleven. And they refer to that some way in the film. They were like, oh, they're calling it the, you know, Oklahoma Eleven or something. Do you remember? Seven Eleven. Yeah, because something like yeah. that. Because they're fine. It's like, oh, brilliant. Um, and Hilary Swank shows up at the very end. Really forgettable. She was incredibly annoying. And they do that thing at the end. We're like, oh, maybe. And you're like, don't mm. care. But yeah, no, I would. I'd push that it's more enjoyable than that. Like it's good fun. It's very easy, nice, light watching. I watch it on yeah, the day I after liked, work. Like it's that kind of film. I like the prison guard who wouldn't like admitting anything. It's just like we don't have those. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. He was very good. Yeah. So. Uh, my movie moment of the month is from a film that seems like it came out about three years ago now, but um, Maudie, it stars Ethan Hawke and Sally Hawkins, and it was directed by Ashleen Walsh. Absolutely loved it. Irish. Um, yeah. Oh, hey. An Irish-Canadian co-production. Yeah, so might get Oscar, hopefully, for Sally Hawkins. Um, just really loved it. She's kind What's of... What's your moment? Uh, the entire film. I'm going to cheat and say that. Oh, you have to pick a moment when she presents her drawing of a really bad painting of a cat. Oh. I think there's a number of nice moments where, because I, I got to see it mm. as well, um, where the house, because her art gets presented in the house and I think as it perform- grows yeah. um, and like it goes from being one corner and he's like, just not a much ear. Yeah. It's kind of nice. Yeah. Her performance kind of. It's the thing that saves is, it. Like, is Ethan amazing. Hawk, like, yeah. I thought Ethan Hawke was brilliant though because he's playing a bit of an asshole and like there's a moment where he hits um, Maudie and you're just like, oh. But then it, it kind of is pulled back and you're like, it kind of gives him a more three dimensional kind of character. And I love the bit at the end where they show some of the real footage and you're just like, oh, wow. Uh, Lisa yeah. did have a bit of a quandary where like Maudie got older, but like Ethan Hawke didn't really get that much older. looking. he just got a bit of stubble and was kind of like whatever. And then when you see them in the film, the real life film, you're just like, that's a bit They're of a, a lot of <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but a uh, brilliant film. I doubt it's still playing anywhere, but if it is, really go catch Find it. Find it on demand somewhere. Both um, uh, yeah, so do you want to think your preview for... Oh yeah, so a bit of a preview, fresh out of the cinema for Home Again, um, starring Reese Witherspoon. She's kind of, you know, one big at the Emmys. She didn't get an Emmy for Big Little Lies. Do you think she was pissed off about that? It was Nicole Kidman and somebody else in it who got so the, what did the she gongs. Get? Nothing, I think just the show. And she's a producer and I think so, yeah. Um, Hallie Myers uh, Shire wrote and directed it, who I think is the daughter of 
Catherine Myers, the Twilight person? No, Nancy Myers. Nancy the director Myers. is like, it's complicated. Sorry, that's uh, it. And like a range of... Um, yeah. Good, uh, as good as, not as good as it gets. The one... Oh, God. I'll come back to you. Okay. A load of titles. So anyway, uh, Reese Witherspoon is recently divorced from Michael Sheen and has moved home to LA and is living in her father's house who's passed away. And she has two kids and it just so happens that three down on their luck guys who really aren't that down on their luck um, uh, aspiring filmmakers then decide to move in with her. So she helps them out for a bit. She did kind of semi-hook up with one of them on a night out. And then it turns into like a three men and a middle-aged woman uh, type of film. Nice. 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 I'm going to patent that, you know, if it hasn't been in a review yet. But it's just really corny and hokey. And it's really like loads of fake laughs. And you're just like, people don't act like that. And they don't talk like that. Who are the the men? uh, Basically, nice alter reverse reality worlds of It's All Sunny in Philadelphia. Like, there's a really nice guy who's basically Charlie. Then you've got the good-looking sleazy guy and then the kind of idiot guy who looks like Ray Romano's son. Yeah, so Teddy looks like Ray Romano's son. He's played by Nat Wolfe. Um, he's kind of the actor of the three guys. Then we have a writer and director. And it's it's just, like, it's harmless enough entertainment, but you're just like, this is really pointless. And So, out of five? Two. Okay. Yeah, that's um, coming out on the 29th of September. Excellent. Um, also out on that day, and it's my pick, but I haven't seen it, is a film that I'm kind of intrigued by, but I don't know. Goodbye, Christopher Robin. Um, and it's a behind-the-scenes look at the life of the author, A.A. A. Milne, um, who wrote Winnie the Pooh, but it's yeah, got Donald Gleeson. Yeah, everyone's kind Oops. of saying he's Oscar-tipped. I still haven't watched the trailer for it, and everyone's kind of went themselves about the trailer. Yeah, but anyway, I'm a big fan of Gleeson. Yeah, and then the um, other one to keep an eye out for in a... I think it's out this Friday, maybe out on the 22nd. Um, Maze. 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 Um, M-A-Z-E, yeah. not M-A-I-Z-E. That's, yeah. that's a crop. Yeah. Uh, so about the prison break escape from the Maze prison in the north stars Tom Von Lawler and Aaron Mann. You know why I'm letting you enter this because you have a northern accent. So it just yeah, sounds, totally, sounds yeah. more authentic. Do I, should I northern it up more? No, you can't. They, Grant, won't, yeah. they won't know. Yeah. Um, I actually have a bit part in this. <laughs> Imagine. Uh, yeah, so it got good reviews. It was at Galway. Um, seems to be standard enough kind of troubly fair, but I'll definitely go see it. So it's coming out on Friday. Yeah, and Tom Von Lawler is going to be in an Avengers film. Mm, as a apparently. bad guy, potentially. Yeah. Ryan couldn't get it out of him. Right. So uh, that's about it. Do you want to say farewell to a much-loved... Yeah. Uh, so what was it on Saturday night he passed away? Yeah. Well, maybe. But then there was a weird thing where it kind of came out. It was like, oh, he died on Tuesday, but it's only now. Ah, yeah. The Leonard um, Cohen thing of just not telling anyone. So, he, uh, Harry Dean Stanton passed away. Um, he was 91 years old. It's always impressive when someone was born in 1926. And still, you're just like, wow. Uh, came back in our screens quite recently with Twin Peaks. People would have seen him in that. But <laughs> the very when I was thinking back on his part... Yeah. This year's one. Like, he did have a wacky bit oh, to do. But I'd, he played a bit of music. So yeah, I'd encourage people to go and look at the trailer for... I think I sent it to you, uh, Lucky. It's going to be one of his posthumous films. And uh, David Lynch is also in it. But that kind of looks like a perfect... It's all about him kind of trying to... Musings on life and everything like that. So people would have known him from Alien, Cool Hand Luke, Favourite of Mine, and Pretty in Pink. But we're going to play a long... 
very famous scene from Paris, Texas, which is probably what people know most for or what he's most highly regarded for. So uh, he plays Travis and uh, he comes back into Texas. He hasn't been there for about four years. He just disappeared and he's a son uh, called Hunter. And they go in search of um, his ex-wife, kind of Jane, who's played by Natasha Kinski. Who is... What year is Paris, Texas? Uh, 1984. Yes, it was directed by Ivan Vanders. And Natasha Kinski is the daughter of Klaus Kinski, who's in Fitzcarraldo. Amazing. So anyway, this if you haven't seen Paris, Texas, um, you maybe might want to listen to this. It doesn't give anything away, but it's... I, ha- I haven't seen it, and I have to do the post-production on the podcast. Well, you should watch it. I don't think it's a spoiler. It's a very... It's a climatic scene of the film, but it's not a spoiler. It's a lovely just piece of dialogue with some... Uh, Maybe we'll watch it on our boat trip. Oh, we could. That'd be good. Yeah, our go. annual... Any suggestions, feel free to tweet us. We're going on an annual boat trip. Last year, we watched uh, two Werner Herzog films, Fitzgeraldo and Beyond, uh, Burden, The Burden, the Burden of, of Dreams. The documentary of the making of Fitzgeraldo, yeah. which so is maybe better. This, this could, uh, could work for that. Yeah. So, yeah, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks. We took summer holidays and uh, good enough. Yeah. Good enough for it. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks and this is Paris, Texas. I knew these people. What people? These two people. They were in love with each other. The girl was very young, about 17 or 18, I guess. And the guy was quite a bit older. And he was kind of raggedy and wild. And she was very beautiful, you know? Yeah. And together they turned everything into a kind of an adventure. And she liked that. Just an ordinary trip down to the grocery store was full of adventure. And they were always laughing at stupid things. He liked to make her laugh. And they didn't much care for anything else uh, because all they wanted to do was be with each other. They were always together. Sounds like they were very happy. (laughs) Yes, they were. They were real happy. And he, he loved her more than he ever felt possible. He couldn't stand being away from her um, during the day when he went to work. So he'd quit just to be home with her. Then he'd get another job when the money ran out. And then he'd quit again. But pretty soon she started to worry. Money, I guess. Not having enough. Hmm. Not knowing when the next check was coming in. Yeah, I know that feeling. So he started to get kind of torn inside. How do you mean? Well, he knew he had to work to support her. But he couldn't stand being away from her either. 
more he was away from her, the crazier he got. Except now, he got really crazy. He started imagining all kinds of things. Like what? He started thinking that she was seeing other men on the sly. He'd come home from work and accuse her of spending the day with somebody else. He'd yell at her and break things in the trailer. The trailer? Yes. They lived in a trailer home. Excuse me, sir, but were you to visit me the other day? I don't mean to pry. No. Oh. <laughs> I thought I recognized your voice for a minute. No. It wasn't me. Mm-hmm. Please go on. Anyway, he started to drink real bad. And he'd stay out late to test her. What do you mean, test her? To see if she'd get jealous. <laughs> mm -hmm. He wanted her to get jealous, but she didn't. She just worried about him. But that got him even madder. Because he thought if she never got jealous of him, that she didn't really care about him. Jealousy was a sign of her love for him. And then one night, one night, she told him that she was pregnant. She was about three or four months pregnant. And he didn't even know. And then suddenly everything changed. He stopped drinking and got a steady job. He was convinced that she loved him now because she was carrying his child. And he was going to dedicate himself to making a home for her. But a funny thing started to happen. What? He didn't even notice it at first. She started to change. From the day the baby was born, she began to get irritated with everything around her. She got mad at everything. Even the baby seemed to be an injustice to her. He kept trying to make everything all right for her. Buy her things. Take her out to dinner once a week. But nothing seemed to satisfy her. For two years, he struggled to pull them back together like they were when they first met. And finally, he knew that it was never going to work out. So he hit the bottle again. But this time it got me. This time when he came home late at night, she wasn't worried about him or jealous. She was just enraged. She accused him of holding her captive by making her have a baby. She told him that she dreamed about escaping. That was all she dreamed about, escape. She saw herself at night running naked down a highway, running across fields, running down riverbeds. 
always running. And always, just when she was about to get away, he'd be there. He would stop her somehow. He would just appear and stop her. And when she told him these dreams, he believed them. He knew she had to be stopped or she'd leave him forever. So he tied a cowbell to her ankle so he could hear at night if she tried to get out of bed. But she learned how to muffle the bell by stuffing a sock into it and inching her way out of the bed and into the night. He caught her one night when the sock fell out and he heard her trying to run to the highway. He caught her, dragged her back to the trailer and tied her to the stove with his belt. He just left her there and went back to bed and lay there listening to her scream. Then he listened to his son's scream. And he was surprised at himself because he didn't feel anything anymore. All he wanted to do was sleep. And for the first time, he wished he were far away. Lost in a deep, vast country where nobody knew him. Somewhere without language or streets. And he dreamed about this place without knowing its name. And when he woke up, he was on fire. There were blue flames burning the sheets of his bed. He ran through the flames toward the only two people he loved. But they were gone. His arms were burning and he threw himself outside and rolled on the wet ground. Then he ran. He never looked back at the fire. He just ran. He ran until the sun came up and he couldn't run any further. When the sun went down, he ran again. For five days he ran like this, until every sign of man had disappeared. This is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Take one.